sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Craig Manning. It has been a while, but we are discussing Matt Nathanson today, who is a singer-songwriter that we both stumbled upon right around the same album. So this should be a pretty fun music conversation. I know I don't do too terribly many of those on this podcast. I'm trying to remedy that as I force myself to listen to more music again. (laughs) But Craig, how are You're you? You're listening doing today? to too many podcasts. I oh, you don't even <laughs> want to know how many are in my feed right now. <laughs> I feel like if I have more than like ten, I just I can't I can't keep up. So I usually try to keep it down. Um, I'm sure you have way more than that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think I'm in like the sixty to seventy range for how many I subscribe to. Ooh. And that's on top of doing two podcasts of my own. So right. just being yes. able to like keep up with two weekly podcasts now and then try and listen to all of those still i'm just like eh, you know maybe i can unsubscribe from this one and this one and it sucks because i really like some of the sports podcasts that i listen to from the ringer and mm-hmm. they're on like every single day now that football and basketball season are in so i'm just like all right i might have to start picking and choosing which episodes i listen to because if i don't get to it the day of it just kind of starts piling up and then it's kind of like ah, eh, well this is old news by now so you know. right there's no point in going back to some <laughs> some of those things exactly well there's our little podcast tangent for this podcast but <laughs> i do want to preface our matt nathanson discussion with the fact that we are skipping his first four albums it looks like he's been releasing albums since 1993 apparently which is way longer than i thought (laughs) i don't even feel like he counts those necessarily like one of them when i was i I interviewed him earlier this year for chorus.fm and i think uh maybe it was not colored too perfect he was like it sounds like a train wreck or something. So I don't think he plays songs from those albums a lot. Right. I mean, a few of those songs show up on Beneath These Fireworks anyway, because he re-recorded some stuff like three or four times. Right. But most of the, yeah, the early records, I don't think, like he doesn't sell copies of those still or anything. So, I mean, uh, I feel okay skipping them, I think. Yeah, so we're going to start off with beneath these fireworks which is his album from 2003 admittedly i knew about this album but hadn't really listened to it there's actually a few of the albums that we're going to talk about today that sort of got by me basically because okay you know i didn't get into him until later i'll be interested to see which ones yeah it's you know some mad hope was when i really found out about him and it seemed like that cd was literally everywhere like every walmart target best buy whatever that i walked into it seemed like it was either on an end cap display or something when it came out so i think you know that's something that caught my attention at the time but you know beneath these fireworks really feels like the like true starting point for him so to speak you could tell he had a lot of potential with this album and while you know i don't think any of the songs really stuck out to me too much it was just one of those things where you were like okay you know this is a singer songwriter getting in his groove and then we really see that explode more with some mad hope but for you was this your introduction to him or did you get into him later 
I mean, I had heard a few of these songs. I think like a few of these songs continue to be played on Pandora and stuff, and they've showed up on TV shows and in movies. So I was familiar with stuff like I Saw uh, and and probably Curve of the Earth and Pretty the World. Um, okay. And then, so like a few of those, I think there are a few really good songs on here. Uh, those ones I mentioned, Curve of the Earth is probably my favorite. And then there's a song called Bent on there that I think is really great too. But uh, for the most part, this is sort of, it almost feels like the, the dry test run for yeah. some Mad Hope. You can you can sort of hear that he's getting there, but I, I think like the, the main criticism levied toward this album and all the ones that come before it is that he was really great live. Like usually at a live show, he'll just, he, he would play acoustic and like the songs would be better basically live because, you know, I, I guess he couldn't quite figure it out in the studio and sometimes it was probably budget related. Um, but there's a, there's a live album that came out a few years after this, I think. It's yeah. Called At The Point. And, and sort of like if you had asked fans back then which album to listen to, the live album or the studio album, they'd point you to the live album because it, it basically the appeal of Matt Nathanson live sort of is that he's really funny and he banters with the crowd a lot. Uh, and you can't obviously do that in a studio setting. So what I think before Some Mad Hope was his issue is that he couldn't quite capture what made him an appealing live artist in the studio. And then I think he absolutely did on that record, which not coincidentally was also the one that got him his first hit, which was Come On Get Higher. Yeah, and I think we can go ahead and just segue right on into some Mad Hope, because that's really where he started, not necessarily to blow up, but people started hearing about him more and more because his songs were being placed in these hit TV shows like One Tree Hill and Vampire Diaries at the time. And, you right. know, yeah. One One Tree Hill had a very good soundtrack to that show you know even did. if you didn't yeah. like the Undeniably. show yeah even if you didn't like the show which I mean I did it's it was kind of like one of those things where I was like you know I feel like I wouldn't like this but then I ended up liking it for whatever reason and you know you can't deny the soundtrack though because they had Jimmy World, Jack's Mannequin, Fallout Boy you know you had Pete Wentz in a recurring yeah, role a for a little bit on the show yeah, too. yeah yeah like Andrew McMahon performed on there and Jimmy Eat World performed on there so I think for like our scene quote unquote like that was sort of the equivalent of the OC for like our corner of the music right. world like the OC was the pitchfork indie rock side and then one Tree Hill was sort of the uh, the more like pop punk emo stuff, and not that Matt Nathanson is either of those things. He's he's a more of a pop singer songwriter. Yeah, but they did have like Gavin DeGraw and Cheryl Crow on the show yeah, as well, so yeah. he fits in with that crowd a little more. <laughs> sure, and then I mean, come on, get higher. I can't remember what it charted at. It wasn't like a a huge hit, but I still felt like that song was pretty inescapable. Yeah, like around two thousand eight the point where i i I would wager like most of the people our age would know that song it did sell almost two million singles too because that was the time when people were still buying a bunch of stuff digitally this was sort of the almost peak itunes time i guess peak american idol time too i think that song was on there a few times uh so that probably helped right 
but yeah, this 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 was my first full length from him. I remember buying it at a bookstore on a class trip my junior year of high school, <laughs> uh, and it remains my favorite album of his. I think it's so good. I, I actually wrote a ten year a ten year retrospective for this last fall, which is maybe my favorite thing I've ever written. And just talking about the themes of this record and sort of like this restlessness that is going on in the songs that sort of stems from his own personal life because I guess like he wrote most of this album like when he was having some pretty grim relationship struggles with his wife right? uh, to the point where they almost got divorced and that's sort of what the song Wedding Dress is about. Uh, And then, you know, people misinterpret and play it at their weddings, which is a (laughs) a whole other (laughs) conversation. But it's just, it's a very, um, like, sort of surprisingly... If, if what the song that you heard was Come On, Get Higher, which is sort of like this breezy, like romantic love song. And then this the album sort of descends into like this very dire, like state of the union in a relationship. And then it ends sort of on an uplift, uh, uplifting note with the song All We Are, which is, I, I always heard that as sort of like a, a recommitment right. to the relationship. But yeah, it's sort of a, I, I just love the arc of this record, and I love the sad songs, and then sort of how the light breaks through at the end. Plus, it starts with Car Crash, which is a pretty emotional song to start out with, too. And Right. I think that's still my favorite Matt Nathanson song, too. That one is just, it'll never get old. Yeah, and like you, I think this is probably still my favorite record from him it's definitely the one I listen to the most because you know while we've noted that I listen to a lot more podcasts now I wasn't listening to those just yet when this album and I believe Modern Love came out so those two albums probably got the most spins out of his entire discography for me and it's just one of those things where I'm pretty sure I had this CD on repeat in my car I was just like yes keep playing it keep playing it and right yeah yeah, for me, like that fall, uh, it was sort of this and uh, Chase This Light by Jimmy Eat World. And I sort of went back and forth between those two. Uh, and those are both like very sad records. Right. I was kind of just, just in general sad at the time. It's funny because I didn't even have my car until about two years after this album came out technically so it was just one of those cds that i was like all right this one's going in the car and you sort of have like the road trip kind of cds even though in high school i never went on a road trip it was more just driving around and you know going various places within southern california so it was just like you know these are good car cds and that is it is a great road trip album i played it uh, on a drive probably like two months ago and it just still holds up so much like for the fall, that's sort of a fall road trip album, I'd say. And uh, my wife is superstitious about playing Car Crash in the car. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> for, you know, obvious reasons. But I, I always enjoy this record and, and just blaring it loud and singing along and sort of remembering all all the memories I have associated with these songs, good and bad. Uh, so, yeah, this one um, is my favorite record of his when I, I earlier this year, I went back and did this big list where I uh, re-ranked my top 100 albums of the 2000s, and I think I put this at number five. Period. Yeah. So this is definitely one of my favorite records. It's one that means a lot to me, and you know, it's it's a record that I really want on vinyl, which I've actually told him. Um, 
And it's it's just one of those situations where the label still owns the ah uh, yes owns the rights basically. So I, I mean, I'm assuming that eventually anything of of consequence is going to make it onto the vinyl. And this album, having had an actual hit, is probably uh, a decent candidate for the eventually file. Uh, but it could be could be a, a little bit. Yeah, I really like how strong the opener and closer are on this album, too, because like you said, there's a whole arc to this album. And this is actually one that's hard to listen, you know, out of order or just listen to a song or two because you just want the full story when you're listening to it. So it's like you have to start with Car Crash and make your way all your way through it. And it'll just give you so much satisfaction to know the whole story of that album and everything like that. (laughs) Yeah. Like as far as playing it in order, I feel like it just gets gradually darker. Right. Like starting around, definitely around wedding dress, it sort of just descends into this like relationship hell. And then the last four songs are sort of like, well, the three, I mean the three preceding all we are and then all we are sort of the uplift, but those songs are pretty harrowing, like especially sooner surrender. Is just this crushing, like, sitting in a bar, heartbroken, like, pining over someone who left you, basically. And, uh, yeah, that's also one of my favorite songs. I think, like, if I were to make a Matt Nathanson top five, at least three of them would come from this album, maybe more. Right. So, yeah, for me, it's still his clear peak. He said it's his second favorite now after the new one. Okay. Because I actually, I had him... More or less ranked. <laughs> he didn't. He also didn't go back to the earlier stuff. So uh, I feel like he'd he'd be fine with us <laughs> starting where we did. But he thinks this album and the new one are like sort of the most complete okay. works he's ever put right. out. So and I, I can definitely see that. I think the new one is. I wouldn't put it second. I think the, I'd put Modern Love second, and we can segue to that. Which actually it took him a while to follow up yeah that's what I was going to say it took him four years between releases and I think part of that is because of how successful some Mad Hope ended up being with all of the TV shows and everything that the songs were appearing on right I think yeah I think there was a re-release I think there's a version that they released with a different cover and I don't know if there are bonus tracks on it or anything but it, it had a surprisingly long life um, and they never got another hit single out of it but I think it did pretty well, um, just like as you're saying, the songs that were getting played on TV, and then Come On Get Higher had this whole life on like Pandora right. or satellite radio, um, and then but still like I feel like if he had followed that up a little faster, you know he might have he might have been able to score another hit or two because like this album is uh, it's not as poppy as he's got, right. and we'll we'll address that, but it's sort of it's it's very like a breezy summer um, summer singer songwriter pop album, and I feel like you you could have gotten a hit out of faster or modern love or room at the end of the world like maybe a few years earlier if he had managed to get it out there. Yeah, and those are three of the four singles because you also have run with Sugarland, which is right, which I actually think did pretty well. That might have gotten played on the radio. Probably because country radio would have played it, I think. Yeah, I think they picked it up because uh what's her name? Jennifer Nettles, I think. Yeah. She has a pretty prominent vocal feature on that. Like it's definitely a duet. I think that song did pretty well. I think the fans really love this album. This is actually the last time 
I saw him live was on this tour. Okay. And I'm going to catch this acoustic tour he's doing um, early next year, so that'll be nice. But just sort of out of, like, weird circumstances, I have not seen him since. Um, A few tours didn't come close to me. There was one time that he was opening a show with Third Eye Blind. It was sort of a one-off. It was a Christmas time thing around the, the, the album before this latest one. So Show Me Your Fangs in 2015. And like there was, I, I hit a traffic jam and made it like as he was walking off stage. Oh, that's rough. So that sucked. Uh, but yeah, so the last time I saw him was this record. Um, and I just think this album is, is, is a perfect summer record. I think it flows really well. I think the hooks are really great. Uh, it's kind of the kind of album that I wish more people were still making. Yeah. I feel like we don't really have this kind of singer-songwriter anymore, including him, because he's evolved, as we, as I said, in a in a popular direction. But um, especially the song "Room at the End of the World," I feel like should have been, should have been something, and and kind of wasn't outside of the fan base, which is too bad. Yeah. Plus, you have "Faster" as the opener here, and I think that really sets the tone for this record because you're like, okay, you know, things are a little different from some Mad Hope, but not too terribly much as far as, you know, the sound and everything goes. But I do think overall this was slightly more upbeat than <laughs> some Mad Hope just because of the topic. Oh yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you get you get some like a run of ballads in there, but like those first four songs, I think, like are really uh, they're definitely up tempo. Modern Love has like a really cool horn arrangement behind it so like they're sort of danceable not to the point of being like pop but like stuff you might play at a wedding i think i actually played a few of these at my wedding so i i think this is probably still my second favorite record of his i don't know where it lands for you but i just think the songwriting here and the hooks and i think in terms of sound i just liked this uh a little less radio poppy version of him more than what he's evolved into while still really liking those records but like this was sort of the sweet spot i agree this is definitely second on my list as well just because you know like i said i got my car in 2009 so when this came out i was still you know let's see i was at the tail end of high school yeah it would have been like right around graduation day for me pretty much so you know that summer was like the perfect summer for an album like this to come out and like you said it's a great summer record so it was one of those things where he was still sort of fresh on my radar so then seeing that he had a new album come out I was like okay I have to check this one out too obviously and you know admittedly after this when you get into last of the great pretenders and show me your fangs those two kind of slipped by me some of the songs did sound familiar from both of them as i was listening through you know like we'll go ahead and talk about last of the great pretenders now but earthquake weather was pretty recognizable and that's the opener on that album so i was like oh okay you know i clearly did listen to this at some point if some of these songs are sounding familiar but for whatever reason Uh you know by now I was in college probably just getting into podcasts and you know with classes and everything I probably wasn't listening to the same artist quite as much because this was when I was you know finding out about new Philly bands to check out and you know my friends and I were starting record labels and so there was a lot more going on 
and I was listening to a lot more music instead of just sort of sticking with what I knew, which I think, you know, around 2013 was probably when I started really paying attention to what new albums I was listening to. I've been horrible at it this year, ironically, but, you know... (laughs) Yes, we can get to that (laughs) when we get to the new record. But yeah, this album is uh this is this is the weird one for me. Yeah. I like it. I did listen to it a lot at the time. I reviewed this for Absolute Punk, which I think is uh around the time that I got on Matt's radar because he you know, he always he, he reads he reads reviews, he reads my reviews, he knows who I am. He's complimentary of my writing and he likes sort of how I contextualize his work and stuff and that sort of starts here um I think there are really great songs on this record and he actually agrees with me on my assessment here but I think it's it's a pretty scattershot like random collection of songs it's not unified in theme it's definitely not unified sonically because there's some stuff that sort of leans back toward like modern love like Last Days of Summer in San Francisco, definitely, which is my favorite song on here and one of my favorite songs he's ever done. Um, and then there are a few others, like Sunday New York Times is sort of a classic singer-songwriter, almost James Taylor-ish song. Um, but then at the same time, you have him going for like these sort of big percussive pop songs like Mission Bells and Earthquake Weather and uh, Kill the Lights and stuff like that. And I I actually like all those songs. I don't think there's a song on this album I dislike. It's just they don't cohere into any like a- any sort of vision that makes sense, I think. Right. So I'm always sort of feeling jarred when I go to listen to it, especially if I listen to it, you know, after something else. And I think a few like on that road trip a couple months ago, I listened to Some Had Hope, Modern Love, and then into this. And just coming after those two records, which really play very well in in order and context, uh, and then hearing this, it sort of just, it doesn't quite make sense. And I don't think there's a version of it that does. Like, I've tried resequencing it and stuff, and I just don't really think these songs make a lot of sense one after the other. So... I, I think he agrees with me on that. Um, when I asked him to rank the records, he said, like, there's some stuff he loves on this and some stuff he, he hears it, and he's like, who the hell came up with that? <laughs> like, uh, But, yeah, this is this is just the... Uh, it's probably my least favorite record he's released since I started following him. Um, so that's where it is for me. Yeah, it definitely feels like the in-between record. You know, some artists, especially when they are in the process of sort of switching their sound up, they'll have these in-between albums where it's like, here's some old stuff, here's some new stuff I want to try out, but I don't really know which I'm going to stick with. And, you know, like you said, this is a bit disjointed as a record. It doesn't tell an overall story or anything like that. So it's, I would consider this more like a mixtape where it's just songs that he had on it. And I think that's totally fine, you know, not every single album needs to be this complete story. Sometimes you just have songs that you want to get out there. So you throw them on an album and you release it. And like you said, a a lot of these songs are still enjoyable. 
it just isn't a cohesive piece of work and you know that's probably why it falls lower on apparently all three of yeah. our lists here so <laughs> well i sort of the way i feel is that he and whoever was working production for this album i can't remember who was on that team but they produced the songs very differently from track to track so you have like those classic singer songwriter songs you have something like birthday girl that sounds like they were listening to cold <laughs> and then you have like mission bells and earthquake weather and uh songs like that where it's like i mean this was this was around the time that uh fun really blew up right and it always sort of sounded to me like he heard that that fun record some nights and decided to like produce half of his record like that and i feel like it would work a little better if he had sort of leaned a little more toward the modern love production because i think a lot of these songs are still written in a similar way whereas on the next record i think he actually started writing more like you would expect someone making a pop record to write which is why i think it works a little better and we can probably segue into that one now unless you have anything else to say no we can definitely go into show me your fangs and like i said earlier this is one that sort of slipped by me i would say this one more so than even the previous record just because by now i know i was knee deep in podcasts i was starting misaligned <laughs> so you know i had right. moved to my apartment early 2015 got a full-time job so th there was a lot going on this in this year and i know i tried to keep up with new music but some things just either i listened to them once and the they just didn't stick enough because I was distracted or, you know, whatever. Sometimes that happens where you go put on an album and then you get in the deep, dark depths of the internet or something and you're like, did I just listen to something? You're right. Yeah, that was me today with the Mumford & Sons album, which is not very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, this is I, this, um, this was the first time I ever interviewed him okay. leading up to this album. So that's sort of, I don't know if it was that, necessarily that helped contextualize what he was going for here uh, what he said to me then which has always sort of stuck with me is that he likes to make these albums with great topography um, so they're very you know there there are hills and valleys and sort of all these different levels to what he's doing um, and that can be emotionally or it can be sonically uh, and I think this album is still sort of a weird grab bag like you have some really bright, catchy pop songs like Giants and Gold in the Summertime and Headphones. And then you have like this sort of midsection that gets really dark and and sort of downerish. Right. Like I'd say it's definitely the darkest uh, stuff he's done since Some Mad Hope, the stretch from the title track into Disappear into Washington State Fight Song and then Playlists and Apologies. Like, those are all really sort of sad, crushing breakup songs about, like, cheating and, and just fucking up relationships and stuff. And, like, it's not the direction you would expect the album to go at the beginning. But I always, this is one I have on vinyl, and I'm always sort of surprised at how well, like, how, how easy a listen it is. Right. Especially compared to Last of the Great Pretenders, which I said is always sort of jarring to me. But this album just it flows really well. I don't know like the 
However he managed to sequence this makes like a weird sort of sense um, to start with like these really catchy songs and then sort of segue into this dark side too. Um, but I, I, I still really enjoy this record. This is probably, I don't know if it's three or four for me on my ranking, um, but I've got a, a big soft spot for like songs like Bill Murray, which I think is really clever and sort of weirdly poignant considering what the song is titled and who, who it is sort of about. But that song, Giants, I love. I think, like, as far as him doing a pop song, I think Adrenaline is really oddly effective. Like, that could have been on the radio. I'm surprised they didn't push that one because it sounds the most, like, mainstream, top 40, circa 2015. Uh, and then the stuff that sort of leans back to some mad hope like disappear in washington state fight song that that stuff obviously appeals to me as well i was actually listening to this one right before we recorded it was the last one i had to sort of go over again real quick and i do know what you're saying about sort of the drastic difference in some of the songs that the you know the turn the album seems to take because i was sitting there, I was like, oh, you know, these are some good pop poppy songs at the beginning and everything. And then I was listening to the lyrics of those, you know, three songs that you mentioned. I was like, wow, this got dark quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially like, like disappear. It's like, I can, I can uh, make good turn amazing and then disappear or something like that. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I don't know necessarily which side of the record I like more because I actually like both pieces of it. And it feels almost like he took two different halves of two different records and glued them together. Um, and he thinks this one's a little disjointed too. I think it works a lot better than Last of the Great Pretenders just because I think the production's a little... More consistent. It is more consistent. It, he, I, he just goes for the pop edge a little less on yeah. this one, I feel like, versus something like Mission Bells, which was really like... A completely different type of production for him especially at that point to the point where it like stuck out and then on, on this like I mean you have like big big percussive pop songs again and you have acoustic sad songs but part of its sequencing and part of it's sort of like there's less of a a distance between the way he produced them I think and I also think the songs here are just a little stronger yeah so for me this one this one still holds up almost more than I expected it to. I really liked it back then. I think I did put it in my top 10. Uh, 2015 was the year that I was really getting into country music, right. though, so this wasn't necessarily, like, <laughs> where I was. But just getting to talk to him that year and hear sort of his logic behind what he was doing, I think, helped for me. That's really cool, too, because then you have this extra side of the story basically it's not just what you're making up in your head as far as what he was probably thinking while going through this you actually get to you know have that conversation with him which gives you this deeper knowledge of the album and I'll definitely be linking to all of your Matt Nathanson things pretty much here in the show notes just because <laughs> I think everyone should read them because you you always do a fantastic job with your interviews and reviews thank you yeah, and, and we can actually move on to Sings His Sad Heart, because I got to talk to him again and sort of hear the story of this album. Yeah. And some of the stuff he said was really interesting. Like, one of the things that stuck out to me was he said, like, I'm not a confident artist. Um, 
which if you've if you've ever seen him live does not seem like possible yeah because he's so funny and charismatic on stage and just seems so sure of himself and what he wants to do but basically i got the sense that he's just he's this huge music fan sort of sort of like we are and he tries to listen to all this music and sort of absorb things from all different genres and all different artists and all different eras and he absorbs it to the point where he arrives in the studio and he's thinking about whatever he's just listened to and he's like oh i want to make a record like this song by prince or something and then he's doing something that maybe necessarily doesn't fit him that well um and what he said about this album is that a friend of a friend of his like in a conversation was like your problem is that other people's music saves you but your music doesn't save you right and he's sort of like internalized that while writing this album and I think it helped him ground like all his various different influences a little more and sort of nail down his creative uh his creative goals almost to the point where he could say okay I want this album to be this 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 and this and then sort of go off the rails less in the studio when you have a producer and uh, a band and all these things going on yeah and this is an album that just came out, you know, a little over a month ago. So it's super new still. And I didn't listen to it until we sort of decided that we were going to do this podcast. I was like, all right, I need to get on this, going to do this. And I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this record. Not that I was expecting not to enjoy it. I just didn't really know what to expect based on what I had been hearing about the singles and everything, because I actually didn't really listen to those before diving into the full record. And I think sometimes that's actually kind of nice because then you get everything in context because singles can be tough, yeah, for sure. especially with an artist like Matt Nathanson who tells stories with his records a lot of the times too, because you're like, all right, well, we're getting, you know, track seven. So who knows what, <laughs> you know, what's going on before and after that to give it more of that context within the full album. And you know, mine was one of the singles as well. And that's actually the first track. So that's something where you're like, okay, you know, I see, I see what he's going for here. And then when you listen to it all together, you're like, okay, this makes a lot more sense now. Right. Well, I did listen to all the singles beforehand. And I think, I think there had been four tracks by the time I got the advance. One of them was way, way back, which came out like early summer. Okay. It was sort of on my summer playlist I listened to that song a lot. And I think that was a good single choice because I don't think hearing it early really affects or dampens the impact of the arc. But um, then he also released this song called Used to Be, which I think is sort of the core of the album. Right. And I mean, he describes the album as like being the being the only person left who's still hung up on the past. And this song Used to Be is like sort of the uh, the epitome of that. There's a lyric in it that, goes like I, I uh i've got a phd in the way it used to be so basically he's and the whole album is sort of this big nostalgic look back almost at relationships and memories and stuff and like that for me really hit especially this year i don't know why it's just been it's been a nostalgic year for me so um the same thing actually with the new andrew mcmahon album which just came out today um and they both both of these guys worked with Butch Walker, who is my favorite artist. 
and he he helped produce he produced Andrew's record the whole thing I think he produced three or four songs on Sings His Sad Heart um, and he co-wrote Different Beds and plays guitar on it um, but just sort of going back to what we liked so much about Some Mad Hope where it's this album with this complete arc I definitely feel like this this one is that as well and I feel like I think this one is elevated maybe above the other stuff that he's done in the past few years, just in terms of the lyric writing. I think um, his lyrics on this album are stronger than they've been probably since Some Mad Hope. I think there's some really great stuff going on in uh, songs like Used to Be and Different Beds and Long Distance Runner. And just, like, it, it, hit, it hit pretty hard for me, despite the fact that musically it's very... You know, again, it's not quite where I am right now. It's very poppy. I don't know if it's quite as poppy as uh, the previous record. Right. But it sort of leans toward um, maybe some some more mainstream sounds. And if if I had my choice, I'd probably wish still that he, he pulled back a little bit on those. But he definitely commits, I think, more than he did on Show Me Your Fangs or uh, Last of the Great Pretenders. He commits to this sound, um, and the result is a very cohesive listen with some pretty pretty high high points, I think. For me, I think when I first turned on this album, it sort of recaptured that same feeling I had hearing some Mad Hope for the first time. Even though the sound is different by now, it's just one of those things where I was like, you know, this is an album I can really see myself putting on over and over again right now. And while I haven't had the time to do that just yet, it is something that I am definitely intending to do, especially as, you know, the year is coming to an end. I'll be listening or trying to listen to things a lot more just for the sake of end right. of the year lists yeah. and everything, which, you know, people are already releasing those. That's a whole other conversation, <laughs> a whole other tangent yes, we could go don't, on. Don't get me started on that or I'll go into a rage yeah. <laughs> But this album really felt like it was recapturing that same sort of feeling I felt when I first heard his music and that's something that's exciting when you you are now you know five albums past that or four albums whichever way you want to look at it but you know you're a few albums past that and you sort of recapture this feeling and I think some bands are pretty good at doing that like I think Yellow Card did that very well when they released their final album and everything I was like you know, listening to this, I get that feeling that I had when I first listened to them and first got into them with sure, Ocean Avenue, yeah. even though the albums w were different. And I just really love it when artists are able to do that, whether they intend to or not. Yeah. And I think what is really great about this album is that, you know, I think he's a great album maker. And I think he showed that, especially on Some Mad Hope and also on Modern Love. And I feel like these past few uh, pretenders and show me your fangs, uh, they sort of steered away from that because he was doing a lot of experimentation and sort of almost searching for basically what he wanted. And there are a lot of good songs. Those are good collections of songs, but they're not really, they're not cohesive albums. So for him to come back and, and finally make another really cohesive album after basically seven years of uh, us not really having that from him, is a, is a great thing, especially like in terms of the genre that he's now creating music in. I don't, I can't think of very many pop artists that are putting this much focus on like 
album themes and, and sequencing and sort of what goes on to which side of vinyl or how these songs are grouped together or paired. So I really appreciate that about this album, and I think it's it's one of the things that's going to elevate it for me when I go to make my end-of-the-year list. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've kind of already ranked the albums we've discussed, but why don't we go ahead and do our, a little bit of a more official ranking here? I think for the most part, ours might be almost exactly the same. We might have one or two differences. Yeah, yeah, it, so- it sounds like it. So go ahead, guess first. Okay, uh, yeah, Some Mad Hope is my favorite still. I think that's always going to be my favorite record of his. It's just, it's the one that, that came along at a very formative period of my life, the same way that my favorite albums from Jack's Mannequin and Butch Walker and, and, and those artists from that era did. So uh, that's going to be my number one. Modern Love is my number two. It's my favorite album he's put out this decade. Uh, I think Sings His Sad Heart's probably sitting at number three right now or at least close and then i'd say show me your fangs um and i think i like pretenders a little more than fireworks just in in terms of the number of songs on it i go back to there are three or four on on fireworks that i really love and i like the general i think that album's a little more cohesive but um it's like i think that would probably be my ranking how about you? Mine is exactly the same, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I didn't know if you were going to have Fangs above the new album. So that's that's the only difference yeah, I thought we yeah, might it's... have because I think those two are pretty close. And, you know, you've obviously listened to all of his albums more, you know, in totality than I have. So I have some homework to do here to see if my ranking would end up changing, you know, give the new album right, right. and show me your fangs a few more listens. But I'm I'm pretty set on some Mad Hope and Modern Love definitely being the top two spots there and fireworks sort of coming in that last spot just because I don't think he had fully unleashed his potential just yet with that album. One thing I we didn't really mention, um, but I think the hooks are really strong on some Mad yeah. Hope. Um, and there are a few songs in Fireworks that are really good, but there, there are the, uh, a few that kind of blend together for me, too, and right. always have. Um, so I think in terms of just melody and, and that side of his writing, uh, he really took a step up on some Mad Hope, and I think he's m- pretty much maintained that. I think his melody writing has always been very strong. And like I said, the lyric writing on this new one's my favorite writing that he's done in a long time um but the melodies are still great so just it, it's been an interesting progression that he's taken over the years i would not mind um at some point hearing him go back to maybe a more stripped down singer songwriter or a more uh i guess rock driven approach but on the whole I, I think those i think the records we talked about are all very good and just in terms of what he's done since Some Mad Hope. He's always a guy. I always look forward to his albums. And it's just nice knowing that, you know, a good, there's a good songwriter like that. And someone who I think is a really good guy. He's a very nice guy. He's a funny guy to talk to. Probably my favorite interview. Um, and I've gotten to talk to him twice, which is great. So he's easy to root for, I think. Absolutely. And of the albums that we did talk about, you know, that's a really solid body of work for any artist pretty much even if you know a couple of the albums aren't quite as cohesive as others it's just this 
combination of the songwriting and the sound that he's able to capture with these six albums here is just really nice, even though he does evolve through them. You know, we don't need everything to sound the same because, you know, if a band, again, going back to Yellow Card, if they had sounded the same as they did on Ocean Avenue by the time they ended oh, their God. career, they, well, they would not have made it. Plenty of pop punk bands did yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, no one remembers those bands. I think that's just a testament to the songwriters themselves because, you know, they're the ones who are doing a lot of the evolving when it comes to that. Right. And I definitely don't, I mean, I'm glad that he's evolved. I'm glad that he's willing to try all these different things. And it's awesome that, you know, you can really listen through and hear a lot of the artists that he loves. And there are a lot of artists that he loves, uh, sort of spanning all genres that you can think of. So it's cool to sort of go back to these albums, even even the ones that sort of make less sense, and think like, okay, who, what, like, what was he trying to capture here? Yeah. Even if I, I sort of prefer the ones that it, it's obvious that he went in more with a, a vision. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, is there anything else you want to touch on regarding his music that we haven't yet? I Like I said, I'll definitely be linking to all of your stuff. I probably have, you know, a new album review from you to read or something on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah, I sort of combined the interview and uh, review for Sings His Sad Heart. Okay. Uh, so there, those are, that's up at, at Chorus. And then I think... I think I we we brought the interview over from Absolute Punk for the last one, so I think that's on chorus. I, it's out there somewhere. We will find it. <laughs> yes, my my other reviews I think are on my blog, and then the retrospective from Some Mad Hope is also on chorus because that was only a year ago. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. It's always a pleasure to talk music with you, and I'm sure you know once we're off air here, I will be asking you some more questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Thank you for having me. Of course. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.